Fatherhood is fascinating. One day you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Thanks for joining us on Positively Dad. My name's James Shaw. I'm your host. I'm a dad. My wife, Terry, and I have a seven and a half year old girl. In fact, her name's Naomi, and she'll be on at the very, very end of the show today. She always does the kids corner. So stick around for that. Make sure you hear it's a lot of fun. So I started Positively Dad earlier this year just to be a resource for dads. You know, when Terry and I found out we were going to be parents, I I said, I want to be a great dad, just like you probably, or you wouldn't be listening. And so I wanted to go out and figure out what makes a great dad. And there weren't just a lot of resources. Most of the the stuff you find in the parenting world is for mom. and, And I thought, well, then I guess I'll I'll uh, work on it. I'll go find the stuff and create the content myself. And 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 I sat on that idea for you know seven years. And then earlier this year, back in March, launched Positively Dad as this podcast. And it's been a great journey. I've met so many great people, had great conversations. I feel like I'm getting better, and I trust that you're learning some things to help you too. You know, each week we're going to jump in and have conversations about stuff that we should think about. That's what we do on this episode right here. I find some expert and get us to think differently and help us look at something that maybe we could get a little bit better in. Then every Thursday, we're going to talk to a dad about being a dad. So you want to look for those. Those are called dad talk episodes. Right now, you're listening to the one where I talk to an expert, comes out Monday. Thursday, we'll talk to a dad. And today I'm really excited about because we started this conversation last week looking at screens and kids. We talked to Anya Kamenetz. She wrote the book, the Art of Screen Time. She's a reporter with NPR, and she really helped share some things that are important for us to consider when it comes to all our electronic devices and our kids. And today, we're going to go look at electronic devices and parents. Now, before we do that, I want to jump in and do a quick recap of last week's episode and just share some things with you in case you missed it to kind of set the stage for today. And one thing Anya talked about was this. Why don't we consider our screen time use Kind of like how we look at food. So uh, one basic point there is you can't ban it. You're not going to be able to get away with kind of a, a totally screen-free environment just because that's not the world that we live in. Certainly everything in moderation, it's a good idea to take breaks. I think when you're thinking about raising a healthy eater, you know you want to have a positive family culture around it. But I boil it all down to one simple slogan and I base it on Michael Pollan's food rules. And he says, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. (laughs) And I say, enjoy screens, not too much and mostly together. So that's a good analogy. Think of it like you would a meal. In fact, if you you think about mealtime and you sit down and you're having a meal together, my guess is as a parent, You'd like for your kids to have a healthy meal and you you make one that's got, you know, all the right kinds of foods and, and you're looking at their health. And then you still might let them have a dessert or some ice cream afterwards or something like that. And screen time's the same way. You know, one thing that I've obsessed over as a dad is, you know, when I look at what Naomi is watching on her screen or if she's watching TV or playing a game on a tablet or something, I'm freaking out. Is this is she learning something? Is this educational? Is this going to help her become smart and save the world? And sometimes, you know, Naomi just wants to watch like an episode of Barbie. I don't love Barbie and I prefer she not watch Barbie. And it's probably not a lot of value watching Barbie. Doesn't help her, you know, get smarter. It's just, and I would just rather she not watch it. Here's the thing. If I can let her have a little bowl of ice cream after dinner every once in a while, then I can probably let her watch a little episode of Barbie every once in a while and not freak out about it. So think of it like you would mealtime. Now, she did give us two rules. She said the two rules when it comes to screens 
are number one, no screens an hour before bed. And she goes into what that does for your brain and, and the challenges that can cause with sleep and what can come from that. So I'd recommend going back and listening to the episode. Rule number one, no screens an hour before bed and no screens in the bedroom. Rule number two is we shouldn't have the devices at mealtime. That that's a time we should sit down and enjoy each other. Outside of that, though, she said, we just simply don't have enough data to really know what's, you know, what kind of myths and rumors you hear that are true and what isn't. The last federally funded major study of children and media took place in 1982. Okay, well, we've had some changes in technology since then. <laughs> just a couple, just a couple. <laughs> As we're surrounded by this environment, one thing that really strikes me is that the platforms like the YouTubes, the iPhone, the Apple, those companies know a lot more about what your kids are doing than we in the public know. And we don't even really know how much time per day the average kid is spending because the surveys that we do don't capture all the nuances of, you know, are they multitasking? Do they have music on and TV on or texting? And then mom's on the phone too. So the whole media environment, which the devices have that information on them because they're tracking it, but you as a consumer and as a parent do not. So my goal today is to help us out. Help us look at what's our role in this screen time issue. Because kids are watching us, they're paying attention to what we are doing. So how can we make sure we have a healthy relationship with screens? And that way we can trust our gut on what makes sense for our family. Because the data is just not there, not at the level that we can get. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about parents and screens, then we'll kind of put a bow on it for some other things to think about. And I think you're really gonna enjoy today's conversation. So let's jump in. So Anya, thanks for joining us. The book is The Art of Screen Time, and we had a great conversation on kids. Now we're gonna talk about parents. Thanks for being back on Positively Dad. Hey there, James, how's it going? It's great. So uh, last week we talked about kids and screens. You gave us such great advice, and I imagine a lot of people have learned from that. Today we're gonna talk about parents because uh, we're on them too. And uh, we've got challenges too and opportunities. So let's just, I guess, jump into that. Because sometimes I feel like even for me, it's a do as I say, not as I do. And I think you ran into that trend a little bit with parents. I mean, I struggle with it every single day. And, and here's the bottom line. Parents are busy. Most of us are working, right? The ones that aren't working are also running houses. And we're dealing with our kids. We're trying to stay connected to the sources of support that we need. And the phone oftentimes becomes the locus of all of that. And so there was a, a study that was done a few years ago that kind of went all over the world where they watched families at fast food restaurants. So be careful next time you go to a fast food restaurant, there might be a grad student taking notes. That's but right. Basically, they found that of the adults with children, more than 80% of them were looking at their phones for at least part of the meal. And while they were looking at their phones, the children tried to get the parents' attention any way that they could, sometimes positive ways by singing or, you know, being funny and sometimes by hitting their sister. And when the adults were sucked into their devices, they would respond to the kids in like a harsh and robotic manner. So they would be like saying things, but not really looking at the kids. The reprimand would be inappropriate. And the point of all this, and if you're cringing, if you're hearing this, because everyone's kind of been there, is that when we are sucked into our phones around our kids, we are less effective as parents. We're not paying attention. We don't understand what's going on with them. And so we're not giving them the tools that they need to emotionally regulate and to understand their reactions to things. And we're essentially kind of interrupting the flow of a really key development process that has to go on where a parent who is 
engaged is able to be emotionally giving and mirror the child, understand what they're feeling and help them regulate it in an appropriate way. Um, and so we're kind of like shirking our duties if, if I don't want to be too harsh about it, but that's kind of what happens inevitably when we get distracted by the phone. Yeah. And it's going to happen to all of us. You talk about a time in a book or in the book at, at the park, and we'll walk through that in a minute. This morning, straight up this morning, as I'm preparing to talk to you, I've read your book. I mean, I'm pumped to talk to you. Naomi's getting ready and I'm doing some stuff and we're in the kitchen and I'm on my phone looking at something that quite frankly, I don't need to be looking at right then, right? Naomi is right <laughs> next to me. And she literally taps me on the shoulder, slides a note in front of me that says, hi, dad. Hi, hello. <laughs> and and I thought, are you kidding me? Like, I know this. I know that I don't need this right now. I know I can flip it up and be fully engaged with her. And on the day I'm talking to you, I, I fell for the fast food problem, right? And I guess the thing is, look, we're going to be on our phones. we got jobs. There's stuff happening. We're going to be on them. So how do we create a balance? Yeah, it's, it's such a tough question. And I think to my mind, it makes a little bit of a difference whether you're home with your kids all day or maybe you work from home versus, you know, a working parent like me who might see the kids for two hours in the morning and two hours at night. It's, it's easier for me to be a little more hard and fast about, you know, and I, I, I play a game with this because my phone tells me when the first time I pick it up in the morning, right? So I try to leave it untouched for at least 12 hours. Um, most days I don't make it quite that far, but you know, having designated places you park your phone when you come home at night, certainly keeping it out of the bedroom, but also keeping it, uh, you know, out of the room that you're in, turning off a lot of your notifications if you don't need them, except for the really important ones. And then a really simple habit is just telling your kid, mentioning when you pick up your phone, explaining why you're doing it. So making it transparent to them. And if you can invite them in a little bit. So I'm going to ask dad to pick up milk. You want to say hi or let's find out what the weather is tomorrow. Do you want to look at the map with me? And so that way you're inviting them into that interaction and it lessens the possibility that you're going to get sucked in from one app to another to another. And nobody's going to be perfect at this and our kids don't need us to be perfect. When, when your kid is completely occupied doing something else is when it's totally fine to look at your phone. So what we need to be checking in on is this idea of when our kids are needing our interaction. Right. And the easiest way for this is those notifications. So your phone's not constantly dinging and blinking. You know, we ran into one. I don't know. You've probably gone on a cruise and you go on the cruise and, and I bought the Internet. And it's like six thousand dollars. Right. To get the Internet on a cruise ship. And <laughs> and I had burned through it in like 20 minutes or whatever. So I go to the desk and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you got all these auto updates and notifications. And he pushes a bunch of buttons and turns it all off. And so that I didn't have that anymore. It was fine. And then I got off the ship. And I couldn't figure out how to turn them all back on. Like I didn't nice. know what buttons to push and all that jazz. And and here it is. That particular cruise was three years ago, three years ago. And I still get no notifications on this thing and I'm still okay. That's great. Yeah. No, yeah. it's actually fine because you can, you can remember to check the apps. I turned off all my notifications except for my text messages because that's how my husband usually contacts me. I'll tell you, we just had a meeting about this with my team at work. There's a couple parents on the team, luckily, I'm not the only one. And one of the dads was like, look, I really don't want to check my email, my work email when I'm at home with my kids. So we can agree that if, if it's before 9am that we'll text each other. And I was like, that's the most beautiful thing, you know, that we're going to try to uphold that time out of work where, you know, he gets a text message, but he doesn't check the email, which is exactly what I do as well. That's awesome. And what you're doing with NPR, I mean, quite frankly, you could get something could happen overnight. You know, they may need you to get working on or something like that. And and it's oh, so sure. easy now. Yeah, it's so easy now for all of us. 
and there's a lot of research on this too, that right now in America, work like never ends, right? We're doing checking emails Saturday and responding things on Sunday. What advice would you give to a parent that's fallen into that struggle, that trap? Now we're just working all the time and we're fitting our kids in, in between our emails and text messages. That's exactly right. I mean, I think you just need to be as deliberate and communicative as you can about it. You know, if you're able to make agreement with work that certain people will cover at certain times, you can do that. If you have less control of your work environment, you also need to talk about it with your co-parents or your kids, other grownups about times when I'm going to need to check it and talk to your kids about it. I mean, kids can be very understanding as long as they know that it's not that you don't care or you don't want to see them or talk to them. It's honey, can you eat this snack? And I'm going to check in with work really fast and then I'll be back with you. Yeah. So I guess what about the parents that are stay at home? Like you do a, you know, a whole thing on mom at the park, that particular thing got a lot of attention a few years ago. What are our opportunities when, yeah, quite frankly, we're, our, our kids are home and we just need a break. What would you suggest? So this is where I go, go back to, and we talked about this for a second in the previous episode, which is we seem to have created this model of parenting where if you're not directly kind of stimulating and educating your child all the time, you're doing it wrong. And there are other philosophies out there. So one of the philosophies that I I really subscribe to is called RIE, and it's basically uh, respectful interactions with your children. And a big tenet of what they do is they say that children are doing a lot of important explorations on their own, and they don't always need us to hover and direct what they're doing or actually interrupt them. And so from the time your child is very young, you're going to want to create structured opportunities for them to really explore in a place that's safe and follow their own lead. And Montessori really does this as well. They really encourage the kind of level of independent absorption. And it's so great because it's a total antidote to the attention span destroying pace of like modern life and modern media. So I've been very deliberate with this with my older child and now, and even more so with my younger child. You know, obviously when you have two kids, you have less individual time with each of them, but you want to create a situation where your kid can play on their own. And as they get older, that time gets longer. So it could be five minutes for a little baby or 10 minutes. It could be 25 or 30 minutes. Even for my daughter who's almost three, she can do 25 minutes um, when she really gets going with imaginary play, with toys, with blocks, Play-Doh. And so what I'm getting around to saying is as a stay-at-home parent, Figuring out how to set that kind of thing up and know that you can then have that time to take a break and check your your feeds or your messages is really, really important. And so they well, they can play on their own. And you talk about some of that in the book, too. So we don't have to substitute something electronic at all times. You said we've got a role model the right behavior first. So in what ways did you find through your research that we were doing that well? And where are our biggest opportunities when it comes to role modeling the right behavior with screens? I think there actually are a lot of good examples because uh, a lot of parents really naturally share their own excitement and their own love of various things with children. It's just a very natural thing to do. So I think of like parents who are dressing up as Star Wars characters for Halloween. The kid doesn't know about Star Wars, but the parents love it and they are safe share that um, excitement. And, you know, some families it's sports, some families it's music, some families it's uh, technology and video games. And I think it's really great to uh, anything that a family can connect over can make your family life uh, better. And where we're really needing to, you know, do a little bit better, I think one area is social media. So I talk about sharenting a little bit in the book and I've talked about it. I've learned more about it since then. Parents are very tempted to share a lot of information about their kids online because the algorithms of the social media networks 
give us rewards for doing that. You post a baby picture, a ton of people are going to interact with it and make you feel better. And so we really need to think hard about the images that we're sharing, the, the stories that we're telling, because our kids, these are their stories too. And uh, one person, Stacey Steinberg, who's really become an, an expert on this, really advocates that we include our children in those decisions as soon as we possibly can. So even with my daughter, who is only two, almost three, I will ask her, do you like this photo? Can I show this photo to my friends or can I show this photo to grandma? And she'll have an opinion about it. You know, something you might think is very cute, but she doesn't like it. And that's her right because it's her image. Yeah. And I don't think many parents have thought about this. And you, you talked about, you had a massive number of, you know, the number of pictures that we share of our kids, you know, by the time they're 10 years old or whatever it was. I mean, it's a lot. And I, and I notice it too, even on the positively dad page, if I post a quote from you from this podcast, it will get likes. People will like it. If I posted a picture of Naomi holding a screen that includes the quote from you, then it will have triple the number of likes just because she's in it. As I was reading the book, it really stuck out to me. I have never asked her, can I go post this picture of you? Because I go, she's my kid. I'm going to post pictures of her. I mean, do you ever like your pictures as a kid? (laughs) And now these things are going to be out there forever? Like the cool thing is my wife has only seen like two pictures of me as a kid because I just don't show her the rest. Are we giving them the ability to make decisions about their own privacy? And like you say, even at four or five years old. It's a tricky one because you have to balance the interests of parents with the interests of children because it is our it is our stories as well as parents. And I mean, you and I both make you know media about our kids and about our parenting experiences to a certain extent. It's a balance to walk, but I think just as you might think about, you know, uh, how much am I going to talk about my partner? Um, or post pictures of my partner on my social media feeds. I think with your children, they deserve the same consideration. We're modeling healthy interactions on social media because when they get their own social media accounts, they're going to need some sense of what's respectful and what's polite and uh, and how you deal with it if you don't like something that somebody says. Um, and this is something a lot of kids obviously are grappling with and they need role models. Yeah, they absolutely do. If you were going to sit down with a dad and say, look, dad, you've got to understand this piece when it comes to screens and electronics for you so that you raise kids who have a healthy relationship with screens and electronics, what would you tell them? Well, obviously we we want to be modeling balance. We want to be modeling the sleep issue. We want to be modeling spending time outside, spending time face-to-face. But I think what our kids also need from us is the humility and the openness, the idea that this is new to us too. And one of the most interesting things, and I think the most interesting opportunities for families is that we're all kind of learning this together and we're learning it as we go. And so there's a dialogue that can really go both ways, especially as our kids get older, because they've grown up, you know, native to this environment. It doesn't mean that they're experts, but it means that they have a different perception of it than we do. And the conversations that go on, if you're really willing to say, look, I know what my values are as a parent, but I don't necessarily have all the answers. And I know I'm going to love you and be there for you no matter what, but we can talk together about problems that come up and changes we'd like to make in our family culture. I think that can be extremely positive, whether you're dealing with technology or any other issue. Yeah, well, because we didn't grow up with it like this. So we're learning from them, too. So encouraging them to having a a two-way dialogue about technology and screens and stuff like that would definitely be helpful. I want to spend the last few minutes of our conversation on this, this one element, and that is when we have a belief that our, our child has, has an issue or has a problem, and we're extreme here in screen use, and, and it needs some type of attention, how would we know? Oh, that's a great question. So there started to be a checklist 
called the Problematic Media Use Measure. And you can look that up online. There's a short version and a long version, and it focuses on the problems that are created by the use. So we talk about, uh, you know, is this causing problems at home? Are we fighting? Is it causing problems at school? Have they lost interest in other activities? Is it causing problems in friendship? Have they tried to cut back and not been successful? Are they sneaking around to use it? Is it the only activity they seem to prefer when they have a bad day? Is it the only activity that seems to help? Do they have a threshold effect, habituation, where they seem to always want more and more to get to the same place? So these are kinds of the red flags that um, that parents should look for to really think about problematic use. I would also say that problematic media use occurs usually not in isolation, but it's connected to things like anxiety, things like depression. If a kid's going through a hard time, maybe parents are getting divorced or there's an illness in the family, the media becomes the backstop or the thing that people retreat to. So it's it's all part of a complex family system. And you know, it's usually not just about taking the video game system away. So, you know, starting with your pediatrician, pediatricians are starting to get more aware of this, you know, bring these, these red flags to them and ask and ask for help because kids can definitely get better. And it sounds like to me, if you're experiencing something like that within your family, whether it's, you know, like you said, divorce, illness, some type of depression, that might be a time just as a parent that we want to pay more attention to what's happening screen time wise. That's a very good point. Yes, that's that's exactly the corollary. And just as if, you know, by the same token, like say an adult is breaking up in a relationship and they're like, ooh, I better watch my drinking right now because I know right. I'm under a lot of stress. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So, and and by the way, and you talk about in the book, it's this is not a massive group of kids that have some sort of screen addiction. I mean, you you gave some examples of very, very extreme and it's a small population. And, and, yeah. and yet those parents who were able to go get help. I mean, they, they saw their kids make progress. That's a very good point to, to emphasize. So, you know, about 90% of American kids play video games and particularly of American boys. And so if you look at it that way, video games are just about the least addictive <laughs> activity out there because, uh, you know, about 10% of kids um, come up as having some kind of problem at some point. And it is true that they definitely can get better and they can get get help with intervention. And a lot of kids just get better over time because it's no longer serving them the stage of life that they're in. So, you know, but it's certainly something that, it, you know, you should keep an eye on and, and reach out for help if you're seeing this very severe kind of level of symptoms. Well, as you talk to people about the book, you do stuff on your podcast, you go out and speak. What's the take home message that you want parents to get from your book? I want parents to feel like they uh, have the ability to to make a better life with media. Um, I don't want them to feel helpless or afraid because this isn't something that is uh, entirely, you know, impossible to understand. It's actually pretty clear when you look at what the impact is in your life. And I think a lot of times parents kind of worry about things that are invisible or they're hard to, you know, put a finger on. They're vague. And when we think about, oh, this technology, it's so new. Is it changing our brains? That's sort of an unnecessary frame. Like the point is, how is your kid doing, right? What kind of life are they having? Are you is it are you happy with the time that you spend with them? Do they seem to be doing well? Do, are they enjoying their lives? That's the things that we need to kind of lean into. And the more that you have a dialogue with your kid where you are celebrating the good parts of their media use and the other parts of their lives, the more likely you are to have a good outcome. Yeah, so let's pay attention to those things. Well, remind everybody where they can get the book and where they can connect with you. Sure. So my book is The Art of Screen Time. 
and it's available anywhere books are sold. There's an audiobook version as well. Um, I give talks. I talk to parents, schools. Um, I come and talk to companies, to employees. And you can find my podcast. It's NPR Life Kit for Parenting. And it's found anywhere you can find podcasts. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to do two episodes with us. Uh, you've added so much value. I'm going to tell every parent, go get this book. It is, it's, I've read many of them on screen time. This gives you so much info, a lot of data, and then strategies to use. Thank you so much for being with us. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great stuff from Anya Kamenetz, her book, again, The Art of Screen Time. And she gave us, you know, the tips for us as parents. And the big one is we're modeling behavior. Have we heard this over and over and over again? And since doing the interview and reading her book, oh, my goodness gracious, have I become more aware of it. I gave you an example in our conversation. And and so we got to think about what boundaries should we have as parents? Do we put the phones in a basket when we get home? Do we turn off the notification so it's not constantly dinging? Can we have some time? Can we not have it at mealtime so that we can be with them and and model the behavior that we would like them to use? And there's no perfect here. You know, we're, we're learning this. This is new technology for the most part. We're the first generation of parents really raising kids with the with screens where your kids have, you know, for most of us, especially for me anyway, Naomi, the entire time Naomi's been alive, you've had a cell phone in your hand that you could touch. You could have internet all over the place. And we're figuring this out. And conversations like what we had today are part of that journey. So I trust you got some value out of it. Well, let's wrap up the way we wrap up every episode of Positively Dad. That is, we make a visit to the Kids Corner. And Naomi talks about whatever she'd like to talk about. This week, I'm proud of her. This week, I'm proud of her because, uh, well... She'd made a mistake, and uh, she told a little fib. That's what I want to call it, just a little fib. We play a little game when we're out driving around. We have a, a Jeep Wrangler that we use sometimes when we're driving around, and whenever we drive around, we play a game where if you see a Jeep, you call out Jeep, 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 and whoever says Jeep, Jeep, Jeep gets a point, and whoever has the most points wins. And she's going to talk about this, and well, the other day we were playing the game, and Naomi won by a lot, and I questioned her on did she really see all those Jeep, Jeep, Jeeps or not. She's going to share that story with you. What are the kids thinking? Time to find out in the Kids Corner with your host, Naomi. Hi, my name's Naomi Shaw, and today we will be talking about fibs. I made a fib once. Um, we were playing Jeep, 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 and I got a Jeep that was not real. And I just said, that was real, but I actually made that one up. So if you fib, tell your parents like I did. And my dad's in the room right now listening to me. So if you make a fib, that's okay. But it's better if you just tell your parents. That's it for now, Mr. Corn. Have a great day. Bye. All right, there you go. Learning some lessons from little fibs. And I'm proud of her for sharing that with you. Hey, I'm proud of you for joining us for Positively Dad. And I trust you got some value out of our conversation today. This week and last week, we looked at screens. Last week with kids, this week with parents. And, you know, that's my goal. My goal is to help us become better parents, partners, and people. And we can do that when we understand the decisions we make and uh, how that impacts our kids and families. So I trust you got value out of that today. Make sure you come back on Thursday. On Thursday, I do one of those Dad Talk episodes where I just talk to a dad about being a dad. Those are a lot of fun. So I'd love for you to join me for one of those. And then I'd love to connect with you as well. We're on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Positively Dad. You'll find us. It's super easy. And then if you'd like to be on, 
Or maybe you know someone who'd be a great guest. Would you reach out to me, James, at PositivelyDad.com, and we'll do our best to get them on. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.